Welcome into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett. It's great to finally be back, and we're back for a big reason because San Francisco 49ers training camp starts next week on Monday. Fans and the general population can go on Wednesday and Thursday, I believe, next week. But we're back. We're finally here. And yes, for all of you asking out there, for all of you wondering, Sterling, did you get engaged? Yes, I did. Congratulations to me and my fiance. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but it's a big deal. I'm 26 years old. I'm engaged. We're doing the stuff. We're doing the big things. But I wanted to come back to discuss San Francisco 49ers with you. Because I know you are pumped for the season. I'm ready to go for the season. We're all waiting and biting our teeth and just foaming at the mouth saying, I need some San Francisco 49ers football. And if you wouldn't mind, if you're going to buy tickets to games this year, use our promo code 49ersaccess at SeatGeek.com. Save yourself some money. Help the show in the meantime. Help the podcast in the meantime. But look, what are we talking about today? That's what you want to know. That's what I already know. And today we are going to start our pre-training camp discussion with today specifically being about the rookies. The San Francisco 49ers rookies, there's a ton. Many are being asked to play pivotal roles on this offense and defense this year. Many are fighting for a roster spot. Many are just trying to stick to the practice squad. So we'll dive into every single player, including undrafted free agents, the entirety of their 2023 draft class, and even some wild card players that didn't get much playing time last year. We'll dive into how they can maybe not only help the team this year, but also improve their stock upon the roster coming into training camp this year. So without further ado, before we get into the UDFAs and the wild cards, let's start with the rookies that are likely going to make the biggest impact this season, and that is the 2023 San Francisco 49ers draft class, starting with their first pick in the draft, safety Jair Brown. If you watched any of our content, listen to any of our podcasts during OTAs and minicamp, you'll hear me say that, look, we did not see a lot of Jair Brown because of you couldn't be physical, a lot of it's no touching, mostly kind of phantom coverage kind of things, but what we've heard about him has been he had like five interceptions, seven interceptions in practice and OTAs and training camp and stuff like that, um, but we didn't see that. So I think for him... Knowing he's going to be on the field likely more than anybody besides Jake Moody, I want to actually see the production. I want to actually see him pick off Trey Lance and Sam Darnold and, you know, Brandon Allen. And even if we get lucky, Brock Purdy, I want to see the growth start to begin. I want to see the the so-called mentorship that he has from Deshaun Gibson um, start to kind of take shape and show itself on the field come training camp and preseason. Look... We know the playmaking ability that Jaya Brown showed in at, or at BYU. And I think the question is, or excuse me, Penn State, not BYU, Penn State. But I think the question is, does that translate to the NFL and these three safety packages they want to run? And the only way to know that is to, to see it. I can come back from camp and you can come back from camp and practice and go, you know, Jaya Brown... Third round pick, should play a lot, um, but he hasn't shown enough. And I think that the team has seen that growth already, but for myself, 
I want to see him show he can actually be on the field with Hufanga, with Gibson, and kind of be a slower safety, but kind of keep his own, whether it's playing free safety or strong safety, or even in certain cases, kind of playing the nickel when they want to go three safeties. Again, he's a slower guy. Can he keep up to the NFL speed of these receivers and tight ends? Well, we will see that come practice in OTAs and training camp and stuff like that. But for Jair Brown and someone who is going to be asked to and expected to be this team's free safety, not only at the end of this year potentially, but going forward, the expectation is you are going to be the one-two punch, Brown and Hufunga. Can he show to be that? Does this team look in the year, maybe even it's in two years, and go, I, you know, Jair Brown hasn't shown much. We don't have faith in him. And again, it's so early. Time must play itself out, right? But I I think for Jair Brown in training camp, it's to kind of start to show the inkling, the, the, the pinch of salt that needs to occur to show, okay, look, I can play in the NFL against the Raiders and against whoever else they're going to play in preseason, and kind of show that, hey, look, I belong here. And I think with any player, every single one's on their own trajectory, but you can find or, or you can see the value in a player early. Hufunga, he wasn't going to play strong safety, special teamer. He showed early, okay, I can do some things. Late in the year in the Green Bay in the snow, I can actually be productive for this team, which eventually then took him to that next level of, hey, you can trust me, I can be this team's starting strong safety. He was an all-pro player this year. For Jair Brown, where is your value? Can you show not only the fans, not only myself, not only you, but Kyle Shanahan, uh, Steve Wilkes, does he show the value of whether it's playing strong or free safety, whether it's playing in the nickel, whether it's playing special teams, where does that value occur? And are we going to see it early? Um, again, I think you can see value in players early. Again, you have guys like Hassan Reddick, go to the Cardinals are bad, bad scheme, fit doesn't make sense, go to Philadelphia, and they're lights out. That happens plenty of times. That doesn't usually happen in San Francisco. Um, the only one I can see is DJ Reed who has ascended to being one of the best corners in football. That's the only real defensive mistake I can go, wow, they whipped on that guy. And so in San Francisco, Jaya Brown's role isn't defined just yet, but knowing he is going to get the most playing time of these rookies, um, barring injury, I think we should be able to see that click, not to superstardom or as a starter, but hey, you are already going to be a valuable asset on the field. I also want to see that playmaking ability. It doesn't have to be, you know, three interceptions, but it needs to be, can you be around the ball? What is the one thing Hufunga did early that made fans, myself, and I'm sure yourself as well, say, this kid may have something here. It was the ability to be around the ball. That is the expectation for Jair Brown. And if he can show that, again, it doesn't have to be picks. It doesn't have to be, you know, fumbles and takeaways if it's just hey you're a split second behind with growth and playing time that'll make you a split second ahead or perfect with your timing which leads to picks and takeaways I think that's what I want to see from Jair Brown come training camp the other guy is pretty easy it's Jake Moody it's the kicker um keep kicking 64 yard field goals in practice 
Uh, when you get out there come preseason, do you have to be perfect? No, but if he misses that first kick, uh, a lot of criticism is going to come his way and go towards Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, but um, Jake Moody seems to have ice in his veins. Again, only OTAs, but at Michigan, same player. Um, he seems to be unfazed. We've talked plenty of times about how they love Jake Moody in San Francisco uh, inside the organization. Uh, that still stays true. Uh, is he going to come into training camp and OTA or training camp and practice in preseason and going and just booming off kicks? Um, I think to validate that pick, I think fans want to see that. Um, I would assume when they roll out the goal posts or the, the goal posts in, in training camp and, and preseason, fans are going to have their eyes glued to, okay, was this kid worth um, a third-round pick? Because then you hear Robbie Gold this past week saying, I wanted to come back, it wasn't my decision to leave, which there's some confusing thoughts about that because Gold kind of did say that he was going to play elsewhere, but then he's saying, I wanted to come back, and I'm not sure if the wanting to play elsewhere or I'm going to play elsewhere was some sort of contract negotiation, but either way, San Francisco said we're moving on, we're taking Jake Moody, and for the first time, it seems like in, I don't know, five years, um, the field goal kicker actually matters here in San Francisco again because Gold held and locked down that position for a long time. Can Jake Moody do the same? All eyes are going to be on Jake Moody, a kicker, in a very small sample size. He was great in OTAs and training camp. And so I think leading into, you know, the real practices and the real kind of where the going gets tough, can he continue to bring that over? I think he can. The goal for him is to be a starting caliber clutch kicker. You have to be perfect, but you got to be clutch. It's hard to measure that come training camp in preseason, but Jake Moody's already looked good, so I do have faith going forward. The other two guys are kind of in their own category because they're both playing the exact same position, and that's Cameron Latu, a pick that I called Vanilla, then Braden Willis, a pick that many fans, including myself, said was a better one or a, or a higher value pick than Latu in the, late in the draft. And so when it comes to these two tight ends... We've talked over and over again here that it's George Kittle and then a bunch of what-ifs. Who can, you know, distinguish themselves? Who can define themselves on the roster? Ross Dwelly's obviously back. Charlie Warner's still here. You know, those two guys have shown little inklings of success, but no one's really put it together um, to become that defined tight end number two. And for someone like Cameron Latu, who I call Vanilla... Um, sometimes vanilla isn't always a bad thing. Um, I think when you see someone like Ross Dwelly, who might be a better blocker than he has receiver, and the same thing kind of goes for Charlie Warner, if you can be a better, you know, if you're a better blocker than receiver, or you're a below average receiver and an average or slightly above average blocker, but you have a rookie come in and he's an average guy all the way across the board, that's not a bad thing. Because... You can grow to become vanilla, to vanilla bean, to with sprinkles, to with walnuts, to with, you know, a cookie crumble on top. You can, you know, elevate your game as you progress in your career. And I think right now for guys like Latu and Willis, who I think Willis might have a more defined role earlier in his career because he's a better blocker than Latu. He isn't transitioning from defense to tight end. He, his body's kind of already made up for him. His bigger issue is going to be learning the offense, where to be, and timing on certain things. So, 
I don't see why San Francisco couldn't come into this year with Kittle and two rookies behind him, or at least Kittle, Warner, and two rookies behind them trying to learn the NFL and having one of them be inactive every single week. But to me, I look at this and say, okay, if Cameron Latu and Braden Willis, or especially Cameron Latu, can't knock off one of either Warner or Dwelly, that's a problem. Um, but my intuition says that I would much rather have a guy average in every capacity of the game and then have Braden Willis behind him, who's an exceptional blocker, one of the best in this past draft class, than keep guys like Warner or Dwelly, who are below average in many areas, but are okay in others. Um, so again, the same thing kind of goes for Law 2 and Willis. It's like, how do you define yourself? Um, you're likely not going to play that much behind George Kittle, or if you are, you're going to be an inline blocker or, or, or the number two tight end in the goal line situations. Um, and I think it's more so of, can you just kind of be even keeled and not find yourself in the position where you're falling behind and blocking or you're falling behind and pass catching? Can you just be vanilla? And as you progress, become more than vanilla. And I think in training camp, if you can show to not have many blimps or, or, or your screw-ups are more of, hey, I'm learning the offense still, uh, I think they'll give them a pass on that, and it might lead them to taking someone like Dwelly or Warner's job. The other guy, I think, is one who won't play much this year, but I know many fans are excited about the potential he carries because San Francisco was trying to find that speed rusher, and Robert Beal Jr. possesses that speed. If you care about Madden ratings, I don't really care. Uh, Javon Hargraves in 84, that's just a colossal mistake, but Robert Beal Jr., has a 90 speed rating, and there's a reason he has that 90 speed rating. He's quick, he's fast, but he's super raw. And for a player like him, who's likely not going to play as much if everyone stays healthy, his role is going to be very minimal on this team, he could find himself inactive many times during the season, how do you maximize your short stints of playtime? How do you show in a very small sample size come training camp that, hey, I might be able to give this defense something they haven't had since D Ford? Uh, and even to a lesser extent, Arden Key, um, Beal's not going to play the inside. He's going to be on the outside. I think they want to give him a year or two to progress, but early on in your career, uh, unlike tight ends, who I think you want to be more even keeled all the way around, if you're a defensive end, you have Drake Jackson, who has a lot of bend, but you know has shown the ability to run block in certain scenarios. You brought in Austin Bryant, who has shown the ability to be a solid enough depth pass rusher. Can Robert Beal show the ability to be that speed edge rusher this team right now lacks? I think that's where, for a young player to define your role on defense, especially at defensive end, if you can be the one thing this team doesn't currently have, you can kind of, you know, etch out your own role on defense saying, hey, on third down, third and 15, go get the quarterback. That's where Beal could thrive, but he has to show that, hey, look, I may not be a great run blocker. I might be very raw as a pass rusher, but I have a lot of speed. And if he can develop a pass rushing move across from Nick Bosa or Drake Jackson, whoever it is he's across from, that could be a big plus. But again, 
you have to show you can at least do one thing really well. It's not tight end. It's very different. If you can do one thing really well, you can define your entire career as a defensive end. And if you can do that in training camp in year one of preseason, you can easily keep or stay on a roster for four or five years because your role is already defined. And for Beal, that's the goal. Define your role with your strength. Speed, edge, rusher. The other guy is Ronnie Bell. He's someone that, as a receiver out of Michigan, late round coming off a torn ACL, um, there's not many high hopes for me when it comes to his production this year. But I do think for the Niners, it might be kind of a long-term plan. He fits what Kyle Shanahan likes in receivers. Kind of a bigger-bodied guy. Not a not Jawan Jennings, but many fans think he will replace Jawan Jennings in a year. Um, but to me, it's more so of how do you carry your production or lack of production from OTAs into training camp? How do you fix the issues that we saw, like drops? A lot of drops in OTAs for Ronnie Bell. A guy who will probably be a practice squad guy, might be that fifth, sixth receiver on this roster, kind of a bubble guy currently. If he cleans up the drops with a higher level of adversity in front of him, facing defensive backs that are trying to earn their spot on the roster, but also can be more physical. If he can clean the blocks up, you know, play this kind of smart brand per se of football, hey, catch ball, then go, right? You cannot leave with the ball (laughs) unless you have the ball. And that seemed to be a problem with him wanting to make that next play. Um, And I think in OTAs and minicamp, you have to catch the football. And for training camp, in my mind, I go, okay, What's the one area that I've seen Ronnie Bell struggles? It's inconsistency with his, with his hands. If that gets cleaned up, then we're talking about, okay, can you be this team's sixth, fifth receiver? Do you make somebody like Ray Ray McLeod expendable? Do you put Danny Gray on notice? And I think for San Francisco, it's a good problem to have where you have someone like Ronnie Bell who can do kick returns and punt returns and also be a receiver. If you can tell San Francisco we have a cheaper, younger option that can maybe give you more boom or at least more consistency at the receiver position than McLeod and the same production on special teams, uh, McLeod's not going to be here. Now, is that going to happen? I don't think so. But Ronnie Bell could find himself you know, in a battle of receiver slash kick returner with McLeod come the end of training camp if he continues to progress and actually catch the football uh, during drills and practice. Um, The other guy is someone who I think he's going to make this team. He's arguably my favorite pick of the bunch when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers 2023 draft class, and that is Daryl Luter Jr., Um, longer-armed guy who I think you would like to play the nickel, but will likely find himself playing outside more. Um, He's bigger than Lenore, smaller than Traverius Ward. He's much smaller than Isaiah Oliver, but when you're in a battle for a defensive back, and to me, the... Let's see, you have Ward, you have Lenore, you have Oliver, and I would assume they want to keep Ambry Thomas, but Luter's now there. Um, Deshaun Jameson from Texas, the undrafted free agent, we'll dive into a little little later. Um, He's kind of fighting for a spot. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. But there is a cutoff as to 
you know, when does a playable defensive back, you know, go on the field and when a, you know, like Ambry Thomas last year wasn't really playable. <laughs> and, you know, even in 2021, he wasn't playable early in his career. And so for San Francisco, you have to find players that are playable early. They're relying on three solid NFL starters, one of them being Lenore, who had a really good year last year. Can he carry that over? It's not guaranteed. I think he will. I think he finally clicked late in the season. But then you have a bunch of unknowns. Ambry Thomas, Luter Jr. And again, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else, but I just don't look at this defensive or this cornerback room and say it's certainly defined as to their roles once you get past the third guy. Um, and so for Luter Jr., who I think did show a lot of early uh, you know, playability in OTAs and minicamp, carry that over. If you're going against Brandon Ayuk or you're going against um, you know, somebody like you know, Debo Samuel, show yourself. Be a little more physical. Um, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. He's not a grabby corner, but you have long arms. You can make a play. Um, you know, like take somebody like Samuel Womack, who was kind of this, you know, training camp preseason darling last year. He got into the games more than Amory Thomas did because he showed an instant ability to have impact, and he was starting at nickel early in the year. Um, now, Luter's not going to start, but San Francisco has never, you know, shied away from playing a young player in a pivotal role when they need them most. And I think if Luter can continue to have a strong or carry over the strong OTAs he had and minicamp into preseason and preseason, I don't think if someone struggles or there's an injury, a San Francisco is going to shy away from saying, hey, get out there, we need you. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually played pretty well. Um, and so for Luter... I think he's guaranteed a roster spot. Again, we'll see. I think right now he's the fourth or fifth best corner on this roster, including Womack and Thomas and Deshaun Jameson. But, you know, I think the hope is high for him. They had him for like three visits during their top 25. And even before that, had him in for a workout. He's going to make this roster. But I think for him, it's okay. Am I going to be that, you know, that fringe, you know, defensive back cornerback number six? Or can I fight my way to cornerback number four ahead of Womack and Thomas and even make one of those guys, likely Thomas, expendable uh, when it comes to what Wilkes wants to do defensively? Um, the last two guys here, for me, are very different, but in some way are labeled linebackers, although they're really not. Um, D. Winters certainly is. I, I think he's really raw. I, I like the potential of replacing, you know... Al Shire this year and Greenlaw eventually, I think it's there. Uh, we talked about how his game against Michigan in the college football playoffs was one of the best games on film that any linebacker put on this year. Um, but there was a lack of consistency. Um, he wasn't great in OTAs in minicamp. Now, again, what is that worth? It depends on the person you're talking to. I don't put too much stock into it. There are obviously certain things you can point to and say that was good and that was bad. He didn't shine. Um, but it's hard for a linebacker to shine when you can't make contact. And so we will see that contact when pads come on, come training camp in preseason. But I think for him, it's going to be kind of this longer process of learning the NFL. Uh, the skill set's there. But I think for him, it's, okay, can I stick on the roster this year? And with the upside being as high as it is, being a Dre Greenlaw, being more of a, an Al Shire kind of player... Um, 
San Francisco doesn't want to lose him, but when you're in a room with Oren Burks, who I think his role is defined, and you have guys like, you know, McCrary Ball fighting for the, the fourth linebacker spot, then you have guys like Flanagan Foles, and now you have D. Winters, and even to a lesser extent, Jalen Graham, who we'll talk about next. There's about three or four linebackers that aren't going to make this roster, and the question is, where is your value? You know, it's kind of like Robert Buell Jr. defensively. And even a little bit like Jair Brown, who's going to play a lot, but Beal and Winters are kind of finding themselves in the same place. You know, if Winters can define himself as a good, solid, young special teams player, that could make Foles expendable. But if he can't even do that, does that make him a practice squad guy for a year? Does that make San Francisco go, okay, you're a you know fifth, sixth round pick for a reason, late round pick for a reason, you have a lot of room to grow, but... That's not going to happen this year. Um, I think the expectation is for him to make this roster out of training camp. Again, there's a reason why they had DFF come in, released him, brought him back in on a smaller contract. I don't think they have a lot of faith that Foles should be on the roster come cut day. I think they want to have guys like Graham and Winters who are younger, who might be able to provide more punch later in the season and later in their career than now um but I do think for Winters it's about how do you define your role and that starts with special teams for a young linebacker who is really blocked by at least three guys ahead of him then Jalen Graham their last pick in the draft this year he's kind of this weird tweener he's a safety he's a linebacker but he's built he's 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 a linebacker that's built like a safety or vice versa excuse me um, but he's really fast, really explosive, but this team doesn't really have a role for him. And so for Jalen Graham, I think the one thing he has to do is either you have to pick what you want to do. Um, this was one of those things that kind of haunted Marcel Harris in his time in San Francisco where you might be the fifth best linebacker, but you're the third best safety. Okay, well, I'll go play safety. Okay, well... Now we have four good safeties, and you're the fifth best one. Now we have to have you play linebacker. And I think for Jalen Graham, it's more so of you need to pick, do you want to play nickel, do you want to play safety, or do you want to play linebacker? And I think for him, the more beneficial thing would to be be a really good coverage linebacker. He can keep, keep up with nickels and receivers um, and tight ends. I think for him, it's okay. When I see guys like McCrary Ball ahead of me, Demetrius Flanagan Files, uh, you know, Oren Burks, obviously Greenlaw and Warner aren't going anywhere, but it's not like Jalen Graham in a year or two cannot be in that rotation. Oren Burks is not going to be here after this year. Uh, Flanagan Falls could be gone come this year, and it could be a room of, you know, at least this year, Oren Burks, Warner, Greenlaw, Winters, and Graham, or... In a better case for Graham's sake, if he bulks up, retains that speed and athleticism, being a really good coverage linebacker fits what this team wants to do. They can actually still hit the quarterback or make big plays in the tackling game. And so I think for Graham, it's more so not really how do you etch out your role, but how do you etch out your position? You can't really be a tweener in the NFL unless you're changing schemes. And for him, being so young a team's not going to pick him up or at least likely isn't going to pick him up, you know, come cut day. 
He's going to be a practice squad guy this year, but in a year or two, once he progresses and kind of molds his body to what position he wants to be in the NFL, I think that's what the goal in mind should be. Do you want to be a safety? Do you want to be a nickel cornerback? Or do you want to be a linebacker? I would pick linebacker for him. He's built more like one, but has the body type kind of like a safety because he's really fast and athletic. But I think there's more of a through line to playing linebacker for this team rather than playing safety or nickel. Because, look, this team, Luter, Womack, Thomas, Oliver, Lenore, Ward... I could argue, personally, they got four guys set in stone, a fifth guy who you like a lot. That six guys kind of the in-betweener, right? Jameson, Thomas, Wilmack, who is that guy? For the linebackers, there isn't much of a future outside of Warner and Greenlaw. Again, guys could be gone in a year or two, and that opens up a door for you. That's what I would pick to do. I hope Graham does that, and I think that's what they're going to do. He worked out with linebackers no taze minicamp i think that's the role for them or for him uh come training camp and the rest of his career but so so look for the rookie draft class a a lot of them is really you know how do you find your place you're not going to play a lot they got rounds three through seven these guys are likely not going to have a big impact or an instant impact but for a lot of them beal brown even guys like winters how do you define your role early? For Brown, can you prove your worth? Can you prove to be that playmaking guy? That playmaking safety they want across from Ufunga? Can you show potential like that? But for Winters and Beal, you know, are you a special teamer? Are you a edge speed rusher? Can you be the things, your prototype, the things that you were good at in college shine still in the NFL? Or do you have room to still grow when it comes to not becoming better, but more so defining your role on the roster. Okay, moving on to the undrafted free agents. There's a lot of them. Uh, I won't talk about all of them. I'll talk about the bigger ones that I think will actually, you know, have a chance to make the roster. Because look, does anybody care about player number 90? Not really. They care about 75. 75 players... 15 practice squad guys, roughly, and the other guys who are going to be actually on the roster come game day. So, I think no matter where they are drafted or signed, running backs are always a a group you circle. Because McCaffrey, defined role. I think Jordan Mason already has a spot on the roster. But then you kind of start to question, okay, can Elijah Mitchell stay healthy? Um, Who is Ty Davis Price? I'm not really sure. Um, he's one of my wild cards coming into the year um, and even into training camp. But who are they? And I think for the undrafted free agents like Ronald Watt and Caitlin LeBourne, I think they can find themselves come you know preseason week three fighting for that fourth you know running back spot with a TDP or if Elijah Mitchell's hurt still or gets hurt again. Um, could be fighting for that, you know, holdover spot until he gets healthy. Um, I think Ronald Watt, look, uh, a lot of good signs in OTAs and minicamp, but a lot of drops in the pass catching game. Uh, San Francisco outside of McCaffrey lacks that pass catcher. Um, they have that bulldozer, you hope, in Mason. They have the guy in McCaffrey that can do it all. But I think 
they would like to alleviate some of the CMC pass catching things or snaps. Um, and it also, it allows them if they can find somebody else to a lesser degree like CMC in the pass catching game to put him at nickel, to put him at slot, to put him out wide, to do other things with him, to have CMC and whoever it is next to him in the backfield saying, look, we got five guys, two in the backfield, you have to stop in the pass catching game. I don't think Awad and LeBorn have shown the ability to do that consistently, but if they want to find themselves a role on this team, uh, they are going to have to catch the football. Um, Ty Davis Price, for him to find a role, you have to be able to catch the football. I think TDP has shown in a small sample size that he wasn't great last year doing it, but in OTAs and minicamp, there was improvement. There was the signs of a growing player. Um, and I think if I had to predict, I would assume LeBorn and Awat don't make the roster initially, but I think for someone like Awat, his role is a pass-catching style back uh, is attainable. But for LeBorn, I think his role is more attached to the future of Elijah Mitchell and Ty Davis-Price because you go back and watch his tape, I think there was a lot of one cut, head down, you know, bulldoze somebody over. You, you never wanted to compare running backs because, especially who I'm going to say, but there was, you know, just the style of running, not, not the production, not the inevitable future this player has, but style of running, there was a little bit of Frank Gore to him of someone that was just getting hit left and right, but was still up, you know, fighting his way for every single yard, not going to give up. Um, didn't matter how many guys hit him, he wasn't going to go down. And again, I'm not saying LeBorn equals Frank Gore. What I'm saying is, is that that gritty style of running that Elijah Mitchell has that you hope you have in TDP, um, if LeBorn can show this hyper-aggressive, unafraid to take a hit and can actually get back up, unlike Elijah Mitchell has the last you know year and a half or so, um, I think that might make Kyle Shanahan kind of, you know, perk up and go, oh, like, who's this kid? Or at least more so of, we have something here. Again, I don't want to bring it up, but Mitchell's had injury history. Christian McCaffrey's had injury history. Now, we dove into CMC's injury history when he got traded here, and he was healthy all year last year. You never want to predict an injury, but you have to be deep at running back. And right now, we're, we're seeing this play out where, Guys are unhappy because they're not getting paid. Well, Chris McCaffrey's already getting paid a lot of money. And for San Francisco, it's more so, of, okay, how can you alleviate maybe his stress level on his legs and his hips and his back and his knees and his Achilles and his toes, <laughs> whatever it is, to make him be upright all year long? And I think having somebody like LeBorn that if he can show the ability again to get hit, fight for every yard and get back up, that that could at least, to a lesser degree, make Kyle Shanahan say, okay, like you might be running back number four on this roster, but if push comes to shove, I do trust you over TDP or an AWAT. Or even if Mitchell gets hurt again, if Mason's playing number two, hey, LeBorn, you're my number three because you actually can, you know, you've shown the ability to, you know, to do what I need you to do as a running back and, and, even if you're hitting the backfield, keep moving forward. 
And I think that's where Awad and LeBourne's roles might come from. Um, somebody like Jack Coletto, who I know many fans like, I know San Francisco is in love with him. Um, I would expect if this, if there is one undrafted free agent to make the roster, um, I think it's going to be Jack Coletto. Um, that's not the move that I would do, but I think that's the move San Francisco kind of already has set in stone, barring an injury or barring something crazy happen. Um, I think they view him as the successor to Kyle Juszczyk, but also in the meantime, someone that can play linebacker, somebody that can play fullback, tight end, um, and even in a pinch, be your emergency quarterback number five. Uh, and so I do think they just love what Jack Coletto brings to the team. And again, this what Coletto does, because I, I do think they view him as you know, a drafted value player that was undrafted. Um, I think that his play could impact the linebackers of this team more than others think. Um, because if they want to keep a versatile kind of Swiss Army Knife player like Coletto, that could spell doom for Graham or Winters or even a DFF. Um, I think that's where he can kind of be this, you know, who the heck is Jack Coletto kind of guy, where... He may have a defined role on special teams, but because he's a guy who can play three different positions, might add more value to San Francisco in the future or late in the year when guys inevitably get hurt. Whether it's Juszczyk or it's a tight end or it's, again, a linebacker, if he can do it all and be good enough at every single one of those positions, why wouldn't you value him over someone that can be really good at one but it might take two to three years to inevitably get there. Um, there's Joey Fisher, who's going to play guard, a smaller body guy. Um, I also think they kind of value him as that drafted player that was undrafted, um, but he feels more of a, a, a practice squad player for the year. Um, San Francisco has found themselves in a weird place where, you know, they have a really good starting five, but one of those starting five players is... Obviously, the weakest of the bunch, that being Colton McKivitz, who is unproven, but has kind of earned that job, at least they believe he has, over um, you know guys that they let go like McGlinchey or even a drafted player like Blake Freeland. Um, but I do think that they find themselves in a weird spot because do you trust Jalen Moore? Do you trust do you trust Leroy Watson to be tackles? Um, John Feliciano's here now, the veteran player from the Giants last year. He's probably going to be your center slash guard, your Daniel Brunskill style of player. So does that kick out of Feliciano? Um, I think it does. I think you have Burford in there, obviously, who's going to start. And you have Nick Zakelge, who I think they want him to be the backup center, but he's still learning that position. Um, and so San Francisco finds themselves in an interesting spot where because they don't really have much depth behind their starting five, would it lead them to keep an extra offensive lineman? That might be the smart move. And for someone like John Feliciano, excuse me, or Joey Fisher, who's a smaller body guard, could he back up Aaron Banks? Or do they see him as more of a, you know, not transitional piece, but someone who needs a year to get their body in the NFL shape? That was Aaron Banks two years ago. Hey, second round pick, you're not going to play though, because we want to see it right guard because we have value at left guard already but your body isn't right. And so for Fisher, it's okay, like, is your body right? Can you actually go against 
you know, some of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. I mean, my mind goes to, can Joey Fisher go against Aaron Donald? Now, the expectation is he'll never have to. But if Banks goes down, if Burford goes down, if Brendel goes down and Feliciano's playing center or Zakelj can't play center because he hasn't been good enough yet, that makes the guard situation so tricky for how does San Francisco want to handle this. And for Feliciano, it's about being consistent. You know, again, your body has to be right. There are plenty of guys who, and I believe Fisher was one of these players that they talked about conditioning, where he was huffing and puffing and was kind of out of shape for the NFL, but in shape for college. It's a big difference there. Could Fisher be a guy who they like a lot, but just can't put him out there just yet? I think that's where he's going to find himself in. But again, San Francisco is going to have a really, really tough decision to make with the offensive line this training camp come cut day. Um, And again, to me, if you can be consistent and have your feet in the ground and just, again, I'm no offensive line guru by any means, but you want to have consistency. I don't want to see a player, one play, you know, on their back, you know, oh, I, I, I got destroyed by whoever it is, by Nick Bosa or wh- whoever it is. In the next three plays, you're playing great. Like, the, the less you are said, it's kind of like, you know, a cornerback. The less your name is said, the better for you. And, and for John Feliciano, can your name, or excuse me, Jesus, Joey Fisher, can your name be said less? Um, the other guy, which I keep in kind of the same thing with all the offensive linemen, Corey Luciano and Ilm Manning, these guys likely aren't going to make this team. They just aren't. They're camp bodies, they're practice squad guys, but just like Joey Fisher, there is no defined backup role on this offensive line besides John Feliciano. That's the only guy. Can you be consistent? Can you find yourself in not hearing your name a lot? Um, The last three guys of the undrafted grouping that I really, really think, you know, we should keep our eye on come training camp and preseason. The first one is Spencer Wage from North Dakota State. Uh, He is someone in OTAs and minicamp that actually showed he belonged amongst the group that didn't have pads on and couldn't rush the passer too much, but he made a handful of plays. I thought he was in the quarterback's face a lot against backup offensive linemen. Again, going back to the offensive line group, if you're getting beat by Spencer Wage, you got a problem, but in Spencer Wage's case, if he's out there showing, hey, I can beat number threes and number twos, you know, and I might struggle against number ones, but I can actually be, you know, again, define my role, or at least in this case, you know, prove to be a valuable depth piece, a spark of energy for a defense that could find themselves with having a you know, not defined defensive end number two if Jackson doesn't prove to take that jump or Farrell comes in and just isn't the Arden key guy you want him to be. Um, and then you have guys like Brian and Beal and Wage who are like, hey, we're young. We can add some value here. Don't forget about us. Um, guys get hurt. Bosa got hurt in 2020. It just happens. Jackson's body couldn't hold up last year. Farrell's done nothing in the NFL. Like, there's a question mark come defensive end number two, and I'm not saying Wage is that good, but if, again, you can just put together and string together, you know, 
couple good pass rushing reps, you know, show yourself to be an average run blocker or be in the right spot at the right time and make some plays and just find your way near the ball or near the quarterback, you're going to catch the eye of somebody like Chris Kosarek. If you can show yourself to be coachable and moldable, uh, you're going to find a role on this team. And I think Wage has shown the ability to kind of find himself in the position a lot where he's making plays in, 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 in practice. Now, does that translate when you're not going against McKivitz or Trent Williams? We'll see. But it was a good sign to see him, and, and the good thing was to see what he was doing out there as going, okay, like this kid belongs in this setting. Does he belong in training camp in preseason? We'll see. The other two guys, um, I think one of them makes a really good case to make this roster if I was going to predict his training camp and preseason kind of output. The other one is more of a younger player who I don't think has a defined role and probably won't have one. Um, Avery Young is a safety who I like. I think he's fine. Um, but this team, I think, has plenty of safeties that can do a lot more things a lot better. Hufunga ain't leaving. Uh, Jair Brown ain't going nowhere. Uh, Gibson ain't going nowhere. Now, when you get to the end of that depth chart being the fourth and fifth safety, you have Miles Hartfield, who I think has the in over someone like Avery Young, or at least should in this case. He's played for three, four years in the NFL. And he knows Steve Wilkes' system playing with Carolina the last couple years. Um, then you have someone like Taylor Hawkins, who has been taking, you know, strong safety reps with the twos. Um, I think that stands out to me. Where, okay, yeah, but you have... A, San Francisco can find themselves in a position where they have three safeties under the age of 24 or 25. That's a young safety group reliant on, you know, explosive playmaking style of football then you have guys like Gibson, who's that veteran player, can actually be consistent, make the smart play, um, and coach up everybody else. My question is, are they going to carry four or five safeties? I would assume four. Um, and if someone like Hartsfield has an in on Wilkes' system over Hawkins, I, I would assume he'd have the upper hand. But for Avery Young, I mean, he's facing an uphill battle to even make this roster in the first place. And knowing that of the depth chart, the other safeties on the roster, I just don't think it's attainable for him. But on the flip side, you have somebody like Deshaun Jameson, who those last few OTAs and minicamps, he was great. He was in receivers' faces. He was, you know, being physical. He was shutting down plays. He was getting interceptions. Like, Deshaun Jameson, I think, should be in the running for that fifth or sixth defensive back spot. Again, barring an injury, um, I think he showed he, he he wants to fight for every single rep. Um, he's unwilling to give up ground in the uh, passing game. Um, he wants to be near the ball. He wants to make plays. He's someone who adds value as a kick returner, as a um, special teams player. And again, kind of like McLeod and Bell, if Jamison can show the ability to be a really good special teamer, but also have a little value playing defensive back and growing in that position, he might find himself being tossed in the same conversation as Ronnie Bell, where it's okay, do you want to have six receivers or six defensive backs? 
And in this case, when you have Debo and Ayuk and you have you know, Jennings, I could see San Francisco pointing to defensive back over receiver simply because it's been a bigger position of need the last few years. Again, two years ago, 2021, you had Thomas out there. Last year, one Mack, then it was Lenore, then Mosley got hurt. You know, there were so many moving parts outside of Charvarius Ward last year and outside of Emmanuel Mosley two years ago. Um, and so I think this year, it's more of a conversation of do they want to keep five or six receivers or five to six cornerbacks? I think Deshaun Jameson is going to find himself late in the preseason and cut day saying, okay, what do we do with him? He might be too valuable to lose over somebody like a Bell, over someone like a McLeod, depending on what position they value more. Um, that's the UDFA guys. That's the rookie guys. But here's some wild card players. We're at 50 minutes currently. I'll try to do this really fast. I promise. Um, so the wild cards I have, again, Taylor Hawkins being a safety, um, taking second team reps at strong safety in OTAs and minicamp. Does he have the inside track over Hartfield? I don't think he does, but a young player, again, they could be carrying a very young safety class this year. If you string together two to three to four good practices, that could sway a defensive coach's mind like Steve Wilkes to pick somebody like Hawkins over someone he knows like Hartsfield. Um, the other guy is Tay Martin. I'm sure you saw the video of him and Trey Lance getting reps in at a TCU this past weekend. Um, Tay Martin's a big player on the practice squad last year. Found himself later in the year actually being on the active roster as a depth receiver. Um, I think they like him. Um, they call him Big Play Tay for a reason. He didn't show much in preseason and training camp last year, but again, one year in the system, under his belt. It's all about what you can do somebody else can't. Um, as a receiver, you find receivers like Debo, physical wide back. Ayuk, pure route running good hands receiver. Danny Gray, you expect to be the burner kind of guy. Then you have smaller guys like McLeod and Bell, who you might want to see play you know, slot receiver, but you have Juwan Jennings, who's a big guy. Like San Francisco kind of likes to have a variety of archetypes, and if Tay Martin can show to be that red zone, big body threat over a smaller cornerback and can be a physical presence, maybe he makes the team. Maybe he, you know, does what he did last year as that practice squad guy that can fill in as a depth receiver if someone else goes down. You have three guys on the offensive line. You have Leroy Watson, who was a converted tight end last year. Uh, he's like 300 pounds now. He's huge. Can he be your backup left tackle, or is that going to be a Jalen Moore? Um, right now, I would say I don't like any of them, to be honest with you, uh, to quote Troy Aikman. Um, but I, I just think that because there are so many question marks, you have guys like Watson and Zakelge and even Jason Poe, where San Francisco obviously likes what they bring. They're kind of project players. Poe was a fullback slash center and guard at Fordham, I believe. Then you have Zakelj, who, an Ivy League guy, who is still, they've scouted them for four years, still, they, they want him to be the backup center to give them depth um, behind Brendel and with Feliciano. 
Then Watson again. Like, what are these guys going to do? They they should have the upper hand on you know the UDFA's this year, um, and I think they do. I I think despite being project players, you could say that I think they have the least to lose. Um, they've been here. They should know what they need, where they have to be, where, where they need to be at a certain time. They know the system. Uh, but even more so, if someone like Zakelj, who you drafted, mind you, can't win that center job and or the backup center job in year two, that's a problem. If someone like Jason Poe, who was really just trying to find his stride in the NFL out of college, who San Francisco obviously likes a lot, he can play fullback, he can play at guard and center, you know, what's his role going to be? Does does he sit back and does someone pass him by like a Joey Fisher or an Il Manning? That, that Again, that, that's a problem. Um, and if San Francisco goes into the year with it being Leroy Watson as your backup left tackle and you're sitting there like, we don't really have much behind him, again, that's a problem. Does San Francisco start cutting some guys and bringing in more veterans behind them? I know Matt Pryor's here as a tackle, but he's bounced around to so many places. Like, again, there are so many questions on this offensive line where if someone goes down, you would like to think Watson and Poe and Sakelj would step up being in their year twos. But, again, we don't know what they are. There's promise, but who are these guys in San Francisco backing up our starting five offensive linemen, we don't know. Um, the other guy, kind of talked about earlier, but it's Marcelino McCrary Ball, um, Larry Kruger's boy for sure. Um, he, to me, is going to make this roster, barring Winters and Campbell and, and Falls just blowing him out of the water. Um, I think they like his ball skills. I think he fits as that number four linebacker behind Burks and Warner and Greenlaw. Um, and I think he kind of fits what they want to do. Um, he shined last year in training camp and preseason. I think he kind of lost some footing as it progressed before the season started. But if he can, again, be a leader in OTAs and minicamp, he was showing that, hey, he was talking and leading that defensive unit you know, after guys like Warner and Greenlaw. Can he grow as a leader? Can he gain the trust of... Wilkes and Shanahan and Kosarek and guys like that. Um, I think this is a big year for him to take that next step as a backup player. Uh, and, I, and I think he's going to do it again behind those top three linebackers we have here in San Francisco. The other three guys, TDP and Danny Gray. Danny Gray, can you just get on the field and out of the doghouse? Um, I know Trey Lance getting hurt may have changed his role in the offense. Trey Lance might not play. We don't know. You can like Trey Lance. I like Trey Lance. But the odds on favorite to win that job is Brock Purdy, if healthy. Again, that's a big if. But all the reports say he's supposed to be healthy. If he's healthy, it's going to be Brock Purdy. Um, you cannot be a receiver attached to a quarterback of, you know, I can only play with that guy. My role in the offense is only defined by that guy. Um, this is Danny Gray's year to take the next step. Um had a lot of good plays in minicamp and OTAs. A lot of, you know, big boom home run plays. A lot of drops. Um, he was constantly in that kind of mixed bag for me of, man, there's so much here. But, man, if he can just clean this up and that up and this up, 
he can actually be something. Um, I think the expectation for him will be to push guys like McLeod off the roster and take their job. But he has to show that he can be more than a burner with Trey Lance. And I think he is more than that. At SMU, I loved watching his tape over the middle. You know, on you know, go routes. He's shown he can do so much just in route running. And I know as a rookie, Kyle Shanahan puts those guys in the doghouse and locks the key away. Um, but you cannot just be attached to Trey Lance. Like, if you cannot play in year two in Shanahan's system, you are looking at a worse version of Dante Pettis. And that's not a mentality thing. It's more of a production issue where Pettis was a burner kind of player or at least had a lot of speed, was supposed to be a mainstay in the offense, got in the doghouse, Shanahan butted heads, you're out of here. In Gray's case, it's you're supposed to be a burner, have a lot of speed, go in the doghouse, but you can only play with one quarterback. Like, I think this is a year for Gray to kind of break the archetype of like, you know, because Trey Lance got hurt last year, it's why I didn't play. And he's not saying that, but fans are saying that. And I think it's up to him to prove that's not the case. I don't think it's the case, but I think this is a big year for him to say, no matter who the quarterback is, I can bring something to this offense that it doesn't truly have. Um, Debo, physical home run hitting player. Danny Gray is that speed burner home run hitting player that this offense, I think, needs. Um, then you have guys like TDP, who right now he's my fourth running back on the roster. Uh, and that can easily change. He could find himself as Trey Sermon 2.0. That's just the sad truth of the NFL. Um, I think TDP is a fine player. I don't think he has a lot of speed, but he did show a little more in OTAs and minicamp than a year ago. Um, I just think it's so easy for Shanahan to say, if you're not Chris McCaffrey, if you're not Elijah Mitchell, you don't have a role, or I don't mind cutting you. Um, now, Jordan Mason kind of finds himself in that mix because he's a bruiser. He's the closer, per se. Um, whereas TDP is like, your third-round pick, and what else? Um, and so for someone like Away in LeBourne, if they can prove to be something that TDP isn't or can, you know, define their role, I think TDP can find himself on the outside looking in to the rotation. But again, all it takes is a lot, you know, a handful of good practices and maybe one to two good preseason games. And and look, a running back can only do as much as the offensive line opens up for him to a certain degree. And so when you're playing with the threes and the fours and the fives, it does make that job harder. Um, and so it's not all TDP's fault, but even with the ones and twos last year, there wasn't much shown. And so I think for him, it you got to be more than a third-round pick, and that's it. You have to prove that you're worth the value of a third-round pick, but also you have to prove you can actually play in the NFL, find the holes, make smarter decisions, with the ball in your hands. And finally, Kalia Davis. You got Armstead. You got Hargrave. You got Javon Kinlaw, who's, his knees are just so freaking fragile. It sucks. I hope he plays well this year. But after that, it's kind of Marlon Davidson and yeah, really nobody else. Can Kalia Davis be DJ Jones? Um, that is who they compared him to coming out of college. Um, I hate comparing players to each other. I hated comparing... Gore to LeBourne earlier. I just think that for Kalia Davis coming off of an ACL, missing a whole year, um, he looks healthy. 
he but like they always tell you it's usually takes two years it's a year to recover from the acl then a year to get back into actually playing the sport whether it's basketball or baseball or football is this Khalid davis's you know second full season back on the field this feels like his first full season where it's you know you know you hope it isn't bothering him but i don't have high hopes for him coming into this year i think it's more so of can you be a depth guy can you kind of if someone goes down can you beat carrie Hyder? give me one sack you know take up a double team here or there open up lanes for other players um but the high end for him is can you be this wrecking ball smaller defensive lineman who just destroys a center on a play breaking up the pass protection or baking or, or breaking up the run blocking um that's the high end for him low end is you're getting cut <laughs> and so there are a lot of questions a lot of rookies and wild cards that are in year two a lot of udfas who i think can actually make this team but look otas one week away i can even argue they're less than oh, six days away monday they kick off wednesday we can all go and you know be kumbaya and watch this team finally get back to playing football speculation being over with um and get into breaking down every single practice every single snap and throw of trey lance and purdy and darnold and who shined who didn't shine stock up and stock down all that good stuff um and again if you want to go to a game this year use our promo code 49ers access 49 ers access at seatgeek.com save yourself 20 dollars off your first purchase at seatgeek.com whether it's preseason or in season regular season playoff games save yourself some money it helps especially now with the economy that can help pay for your parking whatever helps is a good help right helps the show as well you can also follow us on social media at 49ers.access is the instagram 49ers underscore access is the twitter you can also follow us on threads now at 49ers.access2 that's basically twitter 2.0 so whatever you like whatever platform you like follow us on there we will post the podcast and plenty of hot takes and news and training camp videos you're not going to want to miss and until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett saying thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review. This has been the 49er Access Podcast, and stay faithful.